Welcome to Policy Pod, PORF podcast. This episode is part of the Raisena Dialogue 2021, India's annual premier conference on geopolitics and geoeconomics. The conference is hosted by ORF in partnership with the Ministry of External Affairs, Government of India. Good morning. Good evening. Good afternoon wherever in the world you are and welcome to the Raisena Dialogue. Today's panel it's on the trail of the bear Russia in a multipolar world. We have a very eminent uh, uh, panel uh, with us. We have uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Dr. Shashi Tharoor, a former Minister of State of External Affairs of India and a former Under Secretary General of the United Nations and a current member of Parliament. Uh, we have uh, Deputy Minister Sajjadpur from uh, from uh, from Iran. We have Dr. Bisniski from from Russia, Ms. Novens from the Royal United Service Institute, and Dr. Lekacheva from Moscow. Welcome to all of you. Welcome to the Raisina Dialogue. We look forward to uh, interacting with you on this uh, extremely important uh, topic. Russia has uh, always been uh, a great nation. You know, whether you from 1815 to till uh, till 1990 till 1945 today. It's uh, never ceases, uh, and it's uh, uh, it never ceases to impress in its capacity to stay the course. It, uh, uh, it uh, its capacity to uh, to insert itself into the great political uh, currents of the world. It is a nation with great reserves, always surprises, and it's always at the table. So, in the Raisina fashion, we plunge straight into the uh, 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 into the into the debate. And the first question I'm going to ask is of uh, is of Ms. Novens, and the question is, where has Russia re-emerged as a player in in in, in, in today's geopolitical and geoeconomic uh, situation? It's a really interesting question, and thank you for having me on today. I mean, I focus on the Indo-Pacific region, so for me, Russia's um, re-emergence in the Indo-Pacific region is quite interesting. Of course, Russia doesn't itself recognize um, the Indo-Pacific as a strategic concept. It sees this very much as something being anti-China and possibly also anti-Russia in that mix as well. But it does have strategic interests in that confluence of the Indian and Pacific Oceans. Um, we see that, of course, in stability in the North, or in sorry, the Korean Peninsula. We see that in the development of the Far East. Russia's role uh, in terms of the Arctic as building a bridge uh, and a new maritime route between Europe and the Pacific. And then, of course, um, you know, the various engagements that it's had throughout the region, be it through China, its relationship with India, but even, you know, ASEAN and then the Western Indian Ocean and African coast. So there are strategic interests there, and we do see more engagement with Russia um, in this space. I guess the question is, to what extent um, is there cooperation with China in the Indo-Pacific? Where are the key areas of focus for Russia in this part of the world? Um, you know, there's a lot of activity and concentration at the moment around um, the, the new naval base in um, Port Sudan, um, the kind of uh, activity and relationship with India and how that's evolving, and then more generally the, the kind of military, um, economic, and political role that Russia will be playing, I think, in the Indian Ocean region in, in particular. So for me personally, this is a really interesting development. 
Thank you. Uh, Dr. Bistriski, would you like to add uh, to that from the Russian perspective? The question, if I would, re uh, if I, I'll repeat it. Where has Russia emerged as a, as a player? Excuse me. Uh, uh, I would like to say that the uh, uh, um, uh, short answer on your question is everywhere. Uh, uh, and, uh, uh, but but uh, the most important is that uh, the world configuration is changing before our eyes. We must understand that all regions are in the context of new world. It's very important because uh, Russia uh, and Russian political elite, uh, it seems to me, uh, has recognized that uh, we should... Uh, we should uh, uh, find new balance. We should find new configuration of this world. And uh, mm, all countries, including the most uh, powerful ones, are in a difficult situation. Uh, uh, each of them, like Russia, needs to find its own way. Uh, and at the same time, no, uh, uh, no stable balance of powers can be achieved Today, in the near future, we will live in the system of ad hoc uh, alliances, and Russia is trying to build maybe short, maybe low configuration for uh, solving today problems, uh, 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 real problems. For instance, uh, in Middle East, uh, uh, there are some tensions in fires, uh, I mean, Korean uh, Peninsula, uh, and so on and so on. Uh, Russia has uh, some uh, ambitions and uh, ideas about future, and uh, all understanding of, uh, mm, mm, about how we can organize our world. And the main idea of Russia is suggest all vision and uh, to share it with other countries. Of course, there are a lot of misunderstandings, a lot of mistakes. But at the same time, we are looking for uh, uh, answers one question. Why do we need, for instance, why, why do we need the United States? It's a very nice country, uh, very interesting, uh, huge, powerful. But what for? What we are looking for in these countries? Uh, okay, maybe 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 United States can be very can be useful, perhaps. Uh, the same question is to Russia. Uh, what? Why do we need to each other? Thank you. Thank you, uh, Dr. Bistriski. Everywhere, that's uh, that's a good answer. Uh, and uh, and uh, to take that forward, can I ask uh, uh, Minister Sajjadpur uh, a, a follow-up question? The follow-up question is: uh, How? What does the renewed uh, presence of Russia mean for the existing power balance uh, in the areas in the geographies where Russia is? Uh, is, uh, if I may use the term, resurgent or has uh, re-emerged? Thank you for inviting me and pleasure to be in Raisina. Still, I have echo, but I hope you can understand what I talked about. Uh, I think there are three points in this uh, various situation to answer. First of all, I think Russia has been a great power for decades, but the intensity and active role of Russia has differed from time to time and place to place. The second point is uh, Russia, uh, after Libyan crisis and what it saw and witnessed, I think uh, had a type of shift uh, 
didn't uh, follow the other Western uh, patterns of uh, involvement in the Middle East and it started its own course. And it was based on a strategic calculation, which I think was right. And finally, it eventuated in a, a very interesting uh, course of actions in, in, the, in the totality of the region. And uh, I think the issue of Syria here is very important. And uh, when you read the file of the Russian involvement in Syria, and you see Iranian the Russian cooperation on this board, you see this great uh, this global power, plus the regional power like Iran, it really became game changer. And I think uh, strategically, it is a place that gave Russia a leverage, not just in the region, but uh, a global role also, which needs to be identified. And I think the third point is uh, Iranian-Russian relationship by itself, not just uh, as a function of other uh, evolutions and development. I think there is much bilateral relationship which has regional and global impact and consequences. So to answer your question tersely, Russia has been constantly a player, but it's role has been increased and it has become a game changer in regional and global. Thank you, uh, Minister Sajjadpur. Uh, Russia has, has, has always been a great player and, uh, and that's a perspective on uh, uh, from you as one of the key players in the Middle East. One of the points that uh, Ms. Novens made was about uh, uh, Russia's equation with uh, India. Can I ask uh, Dr. Tharoor uh, to uh, weigh, weigh, weigh in on that? And uh, what this renewed presence? I don't think you could say it's renewed when it comes to India. But what it uh, what it means uh, uh, for the for the balance of power uh, in whichever region you choose to uh, you choose to speak about, sir, or the whole world. Thank you. Right. Well, I mean, you know, there's no question on it that everything around is in a state of flux, uh, and that includes the Indo-Russian relationship. In fact, uh, I think we tend to forget that when the uh, Indo-Soviet Treaty of '71 lapsed that it was replaced by an India-Russia strategic partnership in October 2000, which in 2010 was elevated to the level of a special and privileged strategic partnership. So one should actually assume that these are two countries that have a lot going for and with each other. There are ambitious uh, commitments to increase trade and investment, uh, which are in the course of being met. The investment target is already uh, uh, doing extremely well. Trade growing a little more slowly, but it has grown consistently since 2017 after many years of decline. So at one level, I would say the relationship has been continuing to grow despite the way in which the world has changed from the end of the Cold War, the end of the unipolar moment, the emergence of China, and all of this stuff when people begin to raise questions, you can say, well, the objective facts suggest things are not that bad. But there are some elements that suggest that um, that things are not so good between Russia and India as they used to be. I mean, one is certainly the concern that um, Russia has become very noticeably closer to China at a time when China's proximity to Pakistan has been a matter of growing concern to India and where tensions on India's border with China have actually erupted 
for the first time in, in almost 50 years into a, into a, a loss of life. Uh, this has been a, a very serious development. And of course, um, if Russia is being friendly to the country that has done this to us, that is undoubtedly going to raise certain questions in India's mind. At the same time, because India has a very powerful Russia relationship legacy, India has strong incentives uh, to hold on to that relationship. And, um, and because of India's, if you like, ideological commitment to the notion of strategic autonomy, we always want to tell each of our partners that our relationship with them is bilateral and we will not allow third party relations on either side to influence that. But look at the challenge we're facing in our own region. You are seeing undoubtedly uh, mounting concern about China amongst many countries in the region. In parallel, you're seeing the rise of uh, an alternative grouping calling itself the Quad, which includes four democracies, the US, uh, Australia, South Korea, Japan, uh, along with us, South Korea, not formally, there would be a quint if you like, but the other four are already meeting regularly. Uh, twice, three times now at foreign minister level. So that's emerging. And there is a perception that emerging on the other side of this, <coughs> on the opposite side, is a China-Russia-Pakistan uh, trilateral uh, that uh, could well be seen as putting India in an adverse position. Now, India would like ideally to preserve its close relationship with Russia, its annual summits at head of government level, it's uh, extraordinarily strong cooperation on defense. Uh, we've just gone ahead, for example, uh, to spending five billion US dollars on state-of-the-art S-400 defense systems, uh, which um, comes despite warnings from the US that such an acquisition could trigger sanctions from the US under existing legislation, the countering America's adversaries through Sanctions Act or CATSA. All of that, of course, raises uh, 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 awkward issues for India. How do we assert to the Americans that we have our own point of view? How do we assert to the Russians that uh, our relationship with them still matters? Uh, while at the same time uh, uh, signaling to both sides concerns about their broader concerns. Now look at India vis-a-vis -vis China and Russia. Um, surely uh, to say to the Russians uh, that we are uncomfortable with you getting too close to China and Pakistan um, gets difficult when the Russians are saying to us they're uncomfortable with us getting too close to the US. So there is a level of discomfort rising on both sides of the equation which we haven't seen before. So this is all in a state of flux. I don't mean to take much longer, uh, but you know, when we are partnering with the US um, uh, in the Quad, in the Indo-Pacific, <coughs> while reaffirming our traditional ties with Russia bilaterally and on the Eurasian continent, we have a particular challenge. When uh, Sergei Lavrov, my old friend, who's the foreign minister for many years now, came to India, it was striking that his counterpart, uh, Minister Jayashankar, spoke of the Indo-Pacific and Sergei spoke of the Asia-Pacific. Uh, these are not accidental uh, sort of linguistic differences. These are very clear conceptions of the region and of shifting in different perspectives uh, between the two countries. So watch this space, as they say. I don't have a, a clear answer except to say that matters are in flux and will have to be very delicately managed uh, on both ends. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you, sir. Uh, 
Indo-Pacific versus Asia-Pacific uh, levels of discomfort, state of flux. Uh, the speakers have spoken about the Middle East, uh, about the Indo-Pacific. Can we turn to Russia and Europe? And uh, uh, Dr. Likhancheva, could you tell us something about how Russia is going to, uh, how Russia's re-emergence uh, is affecting the balance of power situation or the geopolitical equations uh, when it comes to Russia and Europe? Well, thank you. Thank you for uh, inviting and organizing such an interesting discussion. Uh, first of all, I think that this reemergence means uh, much less linear and easy solutions for everyone. And at the same time, it opens door uh, for more dialogue and uh, more set of opportunities for third countries. We mentioned some hard security issues and we focus on them naturally in the fields to come like uh, food security, water security, social security, water, humanitarian security. Russia can be and aims to be a very important player and has enough assets to do so. And in all these fields, it's much easier to find uh, these delicate solutions that respect uh, uh, really uh, multilateral and multipolar interests that uh, the countries uh, in Russia's areas of interest face. Um, to add more, I think that uh, this reemergence meets uh, the global trends and processes regarding what's going on with international order and how Russia sees itself within it. Uh, for example, if we speak about the agendas uh, to Russia, an opportunity to pursue its own agenda, the privilege of not to join to some other's agenda is a key priority, is a key interest. But what we see in India, in China, in, uh, in the Middle East, uh, in Turkey, in Iran, uh, el everywhere, this privilege to set your agenda or at least to be free from joining the agenda of the third altar is an extremely high asset. So um, here I think that uh, Russia will find more and more partners to discuss different agendas and maybe meet, meet the ones, maybe not. But we have so many global challenges and problems now that unfortunately that's a very good moment to keep this dialogue. Uh, let me press you a, a little on that, Dr. Likacheva. You said that uh, setting, the, uh, setting, setting the, the privilege of, uh, of uh, not uh, uh, joining anyone's agenda. So what would be uh, um, Russia's agenda uh, when it comes to, say, the Middle East or, uh, uh, or the area, or, or, the, or, the, or the greater Middle East or that area? Well, I think it's very consecutive. What Russia does at the Middle East, that's the quintessence of its approach of uh, multilateral dialogues, of respect of sovereignty of the others and the protection of it as much as possible. Um, it's, in general, I would call it high-precision foreign policy. It's very hard to get. It takes lots of efforts to do. But when you use it, it's very targeted efforts with, good, with uh, very impressive results. You, of course, you can fail while you're trying to get it. You can make mistakes. But since you get it, it, it can work. It really can work. It's not only for the Middle East, for example, sanction policy uh, or um, vaccines. Vaccines is a perfect example of this high-precision foreign policy philosophy. Hard to get, but when you do, you're open for partnerships. Uh, Russia suggests to uh, launch joint production in other countries without pursuing, you know, we want to produce everything for everyone. So, yes, that's for another words, I, I hope. Thank you. Uh, Ms. Nuance, uh, can I ask you about, can we go on to the next part of it and, and, and talk about Russia's conception uh, of its place uh, in, in, in the world? 
what, what do you think of uh, what do you think how do you think Russia sees itself and how does this affect uh, uh, the future of, uh, of the global order I think that's the question that all of us uh, have so uh, can, can we have your views on that Sure. I mean, I think I'm speaking more as an outsider observer of Russia than of a Russia expert in that itself. Um, but I mean, it seems to be that Russia is moving away from a position of, you know, one that was seen as very optimistic, opportunistic, very kind of small and ad hoc in at least the Asia Pacific, Indo Pacific, um, in some ways seen a little bit as a spoiler as well, to one where it is carving out more of a niche or seeking to carve out more of a niche for itself in this area, um, you know, for its own strategic interests, of course. Um, but again, you know, as uh, has already been mentioned, this is quite interesting in relation to its own uh, relationship with China. That relationship, though very wide, and of course, it seems increasingly um, so into various different sectors and different um, areas of that partnership and collaboration, I think to a certain extent, is still not as deep as, as we would imagine it to be. I think Russia-China relations in terms of trust still has a far way to go. Um, but it does seem that, that Russia has put a lot of its eggs in the China basket. And in that sense, how it operates in the Indo-Pacific region at least, um, particularly I think in, in you know the Pacific and Southeast Asia, while it is trying to carve a rollout for itself, it has, I think, accepted that it is to a certain extent China's junior partner. Um, and we see this kind of evolving, you know, in other areas as well. So um, that Russia-China collaboration element can be seen in the Antarctic, where we're seeing cooperation being stepped up, you know, Russia-China cooperation um, in outer space as well, more general cooperation when it comes to, um, you know, aligning themselves together on um, new global governance standards. All of those, um, you know, are avenues, I think, for Russia to have more of an influence on the international stage by partnering with China. So I think in that sense, that does, I think, to a certain extent, um, raise interesting questions for how Russia, um, as a previous speaker said, will be carving out its own unique kind of individual uh, agenda and its own role and interests uh, in the Indo-Pacific. And, and that will be an interesting way to see how it positions itself as offering itself perhaps as a third party uh, alternative to the United States and China, but at the same time remaining incredibly close to China um, in a number of areas. Uh, interesting, junior partner to uh, China, and how, how would you react to that, uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Mr. King, in the light of what you uh, said earlier about uh, uh, Russia having uh, its uh, own, uh, uh, you know, uh, sort of uh, priorities uh, and its own interests in, in, in various uh, Theaters. Uh, uh, Russia is um, all countries, not only Russia, uh, uh, but Russia is uh, in very difficult situations, like other countries, because we should think about uh, how we can uh, uh, maneuver uh, in this situation. What should we do? Uh, because uh, today configuration is uh, is. Uh, very, very strange, in some sense weird, and uh, we need, uh, and Russia need to find, uh, has to find way between Western Europe, United States, China, India, uh, neighbors, former Soviet republics, uh, and uh, a lot of problems, uh, including COVID-19. And uh, uh, I think that uh, uh, 
maybe maybe in Russia, not only Russia, we can find solution and to find some way. Uh, first of all, we should think about new uh, and common narrative because uh, nobody knows future. Uh, uh, during confrontation uh, 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 between the United States and Soviet Union, uh, we, we can say, say, okay, we are looking at this, at this kind of future or another kind. No, we, uh, uh, we don't have common values, we have no common uh, image of future. It's, 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 it's a very similar change. If we, can, if we, if we find uh, uh, the, the model of future, maybe we can find way, uh, um, how can we reach this future. It's first. Second, uh, maybe uh, uh, Russia um, is, uh, should uh, find more support, more uh, lies uh, in the Central Asia region. I mean, uh, some former Soviet republics, uh, I mean, uh, Iran, uh, uh, and uh, it, it, will be, it will be very important for Russia, India. Uh, honestly, I don't know answer, because uh, it seems to me uh, there are a lot of challenges. Uh, and uh, what should be doing in this situation? Uh, uh, now, Russia uh, has recognized we need to be strong to uh, to have uh, own power and uh, to follow uh, to follow our uh, policy and to uh, to follow, uh, to, to to looking for some world justice and world balance. Dr. Pistrisi, thank you. Uh, common image of the no common image of the future. Uh, and you just mentioned uh, Iran as a, as, a, as a key partner. Minister Siddharthpur, can I uh, ask you about what, uh, what, what's, uh, what about your image of the future and uh, what, what do you have in common uh, with Russia or what do you, is there, is there a narrative that you think that you can build on with, uh, uh, with, uh, with Russia in that? I think Russia is a fundamental and key player in shaping a new multi-century global order. And I think I emphasize on that because there are tendencies still uh, in the West, and particularly in the United States, for a type of uh, unicentric uh, worldview. And I think Russia, China, uh, Iran, uh, of course, with different degrees, uh, are trying, and India, of course, uh, I think, are uh, to be recognized in as a a set of shapers of a multi-century global order. And I think this is a very strategic point to be uh, analyzed. And I think the second point is Iran is a genuine regional player because of its uh, two, two elements. First is, uh, let's say, natural strategic uh, location and uh, natural qualities plus second is its achievements its achievements during the course of last uh, four decades is a player in its own region with global impact so if you look at this two set of facts that i mentioned 
Iranian-Russian relationship becomes very important, not just for a bilateral system, but it is also becoming very important in a much more multi-centric global order. And if you add, and I, I, I will underline another factor, and that is how West of the West as its authority is treating Russia. How United States is treating Russia. And I think it has ripple effect on how Russia reacts. And this is what I think is very important in this multi-centric global order, is the rise of Eurasia as a strategic theater. And I think in this uh, whole geopolitical setting of Eurasia, Russia is a very fundamental player, China is a very fundamental player, India is a very fundamental player, and of uh, Iran and Turkey and a few others. And I'm not going just to the, let's say, classical uh, rivalry between different, uh, let's say, global powers. I think it's a new setting in which, of course, Russia has something to uh, add, Iran has something to add, and of course, India. And I think even the bilateral interaction between players like India, Russia, uh, uh, and Iran, as well as other trilaterals, can help shaping a new reality. To end, I the world is not as vertical as it was, and there were horizontal changes here and there. And in these horizontal, horizontal changes, uh, players like India, like uh, Iran, like Turkey, I think it matters so much, and of course Russia. And I think this, this, this is where Eurasia becomes a very, very important civilizational, strategic, uh, political context in which Russia has a great role. I'll be happy to pick up the slack on that if you want, Anupam. Yes, sir. Please do. I mean, I just think uh, Minister Sajadpur's was a very important intervention, and I, I happen to agree with much of what he said. I, I, I think that the world has been evolving in a very interesting way from the binary of the Cold War, which was really with two superpowers, the Soviet Union and the U.S., then the unipolar period when the U.S. was really the unchallenged power, Russia trying to figure out its place in that. Then comes the Primakov Doctrine, where the Russians start charting out their own course, rather than the completely pro-Western policy of the first half of the 90s. Meanwhile, you have the gradual emergence and rise of China. People are sensing the rise of a new bipolarity with China uh, as the other pole. But Russia, like India and others, are saying, wait a minute, we don't want another bipolar world order. We want to see more of a multipolarity. And Russia, certainly as a, a, a recent superpower, has the capacity, particularly the military and strategic capacity, to be able to actually translate that into something meaningful in terms of its geopolitical presence. And that's why when Mr. Basisia talked about um, Russia emerging everywhere, I think he's right, because you've got the annexation of Crimea, you've got the, the war in eastern Ukraine in which Russia was largely able to impose its will, the military deployment in Syria, which was pretty much determining of the outcome. If it were not for the Russian intervention, Syria's war would have turned out very differently. 
Then, of course, you've got the, uh, the standoff with the West and the Black Sea and the Baltic Sea, uh, perhaps uh, even in some of the issues of U.S. and European domestic politics where Russia has been seen as a, as, as a player. So Russia has been able to demonstrate that it is a major power with significant capability to project power. A project power not just in its own backyard. So if you think of Russia, uh, strategic interest as being about uh, its own neighborhood or making sure that its, its fundamental um, interests uh, in its own neighborhood are protected, that's no longer enough. It is clearly uh, projecting uh, a very significant amount of power beyond its neighborhood. It is an, an, an independent center of power on the world stage. It is contributing to the development of a multipolar world. But, and this is the catch for us here in India, is seeing the extraordinary level uh, of, the, of, the, of the relationship with China. Because we have to admit that the Russia-China relationship today is so much greater than anything, for example, that we used to pride ourselves on in terms of a special uh, relationship. They import more of their arms from Russia than, than we do. And of course, in dollar terms, that's multiples more. Their trade is 10 times our trade with Russia. Their investment levels are 10 times more. In fact, China accounts for 85% of the total foreign investment in the Russian Far East. And with the um, development of the Russia-steered Eurasian Economic Union, which, the, the, uh, uh, which Moscow has been leading, and talk of it, coupling it with the Chinese Belt and Road Initiative to create a greater Eurasian partnership, the stakes between the Chinese and the Russians in each other are so much greater than any stakes that Russia has with us, for example, that in the event of a hostile relationship erupting uh, into worse situations with China, Russia would find itself in, in a very different place. And, and this puts us in a very complicated uh, situation. India steered a very effective non-aligned course throughout, um, throughout the Cold War. But suddenly, um, it finds that when the, the superpower divide is in its own backyard and its own borders, uh, and that some players who were very close friends during one era might have a more nuanced or even less supportive position in the new era, we have to also re-examine our options. Now, I, I won't speak for Iran. Minister Sajadpur has done that very effectively. But we are seeing signs of Iran re-examining its, its, uh, its own relationship with China, with Russia, uh, particularly given the Trumpian era of, of renewed sanctions and so on. And that would again have implications for Iran, Iran's otherwise healthy relationship with India. Because again, China may have more to offer than India would. So all of these questions suggest that my initial answer to you, Anupam, that we are in a state of flux, uh, uh, is underscored. Uh, and indeed, Russia's geopolitics and Russia's influence on all these countries we've talked about would have a significant bearing on how uh, this pattern plays itself out in the next decade or so. Uh, thank you, sir. I'm going to turn the, uh, push your uh, statement on to uh, Dr. Lekacheva and ask her uh, about, uh, you know, one of the very interesting terms uh, that was used a little earlier was a, is a high-precision foreign policy. Uh, and I, I, I would like to understand from the Russian perspective that, you know, as you, uh, 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 there's a lot of uh, conversation about the passing of the, uh, the liberal order. Uh, there, there has been a comment in, in, in our session, very interesting session on, on Eurasia, on uh, the Russia's relationship with uh, China, on Iran. 
Now, my question to you is uh, presumably that something would replace this liberal order. Uh, how do you handle, we've all talked of convergences and Dr. Tharoor talked of divergences. How do you handle divergences uh, in, this, uh, in this area? And what could, be, what could some of these uh, uh, divergences be amongst uh, uh, partners here? Well, actually, I would like also to support this idea of Eurasia as not just as a theater of, uh, as a very important theater of action, but as a goal, particularly for Russia, clearly set, uh, and not seen uh, um, a Russian uh, theater. It, uh, Russia clearly states that it uh, should be an inclusive partnership because it's uh, openly admitted that otherwise it would quickly turn in anti-Chinese project that Russia doesn't want, obviously. Uh, what Russia wants is this new order that is actually more as a disorder by now, is at least in Eurasia, as much as possible, to be a cooperative environment. Cooperative environment with lots of conflicts. That's clear that conflicts are numerous and uh, they could multiply and come but the spirit of this environment should be cooperative. That's why Russia engages in different institutional frameworks and tries to multiply various networks, uh, not just uh, like financial, like non-dollar networks, but social or humanitarian networks, geographical networks with these projects of transport corridors, particularly the stress on uh, high uh, share, higher share of Russian Chinese cooperation is Part, this part of the answer is also in geography, and uh, we could expect that uh, coming uh, north-south transport corridor could really contribute to more intense uh, engagement of Russia in this southern Eurasian project. Um, what Russia doesn't want in this order, at least in its, uh, not in backyard, but uh, the open place for cooperate, uh, it's huge to be a backyard, Conflictual environment with some blicks of cooperation when it really when it's a real critical moment. That's what we have in uh, mostly in Russian Western relations. So this dividing line is very clear. But as uh, if we speak about an order in general, how it could develop, uh, I would like just to uh, to add that maybe a very Easy analogy with uh, junglification of world politics could be here. We usually uh, consider jungles uh, of uh, international politics as a very vulgar example of uh, direct rule of power, and that's it. But in fact, uh, what uh, the law of jungle means is to prevent tragedy of the camels. And uh, that's actually what we fail. Uh, by now, not only, for example, in climate change, where this tragedy of camels is obvious, but with vaccines as well. Um, when it's drought, uh, animals manage to cooperate uh, near the water source. And uh, during the COVID, and despite all the lockdowns, we see um, that countries cancel to share vaccines. And um, that's a very um, dramatic uh, symptom that uh, we can find ourselves only in the order driven by power only without any concern of uh, global survival of the habitat that is uh, doesn't that clearly does mean russian interests that what we see both in the arctic um in uh, asia in the far east uh, russian recent activities in the maritime environment it's not only about uh, projecting power it's also about putting huge efforts not to, uh, to avoid to the habitat to turn into a disaster.
Uh, thank you, Dr. Mm -hmm. Not just about power, a very, very comprehensive, uh, uh, you know, your talk about geographical networks, infrastructure networks, climate change, not being the law of the jungle. We are, we are in the last five minutes, and I'm going to ask each of you to speak for a minute. Ms. Newins, uh, on, on, on you first. Where, where do you think the, the, the biggest divergences are, are going to come between Russia and the many partners that were mentioned uh, uh, in, in this conversation? I mean, I wondered if I could maybe just comment on what was just said because that was all really interesting. And I certainly agree that, you know, a multipolar world is ref uh, reflective of, you know, the, the world that we're in at the moment. And I don't think that that's necessarily um, ignored or not recognized in the West. I mean, we've been speaking about the growing role of India and, of course, the role that China rightfully plays in the Indo-Pacific region um, itself. So I don't think that's necessarily under dispute. I think what is, um, you know, the, the challenge here is the different visions of what that world, what that multipolar world looks like. And so as we engage with middle powers um, around the world, trying to work to fill that vacuum, that great power competition between China and uh, the United States leaves, which nobody really wants to get caught up in, um, I think there is tension around, you know, the, the order, the principles, the values, the standards that we're all looking at to to um, create uh, the next or uh, an evolved international order. Um, and there I think we see major divergences. So, you know, the problem isn't a multipolar order. The problem is we don't seem to be on the same page as to what that order and what the principles are that that order will base itself on. Um, and there I think clearly, you know, there, there, there needs to be much more work done. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of lack of trust um, that continues to be the case vis-a-vis -vis Russia in, in Europe, um, and I'm sure vice versa. Um, that continues to be the case with China. Um, so the question is really, I suppose, what does you know a positive vision for that world order look like for Russia, um, and in what areas are are there um, areas of convergence? Uh, potentially, I would question the, the the assumption that this is not just about power, but that Russia is also interested in in other areas like climate change. I mean, we're all interested in these things, of course. Um, but I guess even here we have differences in opinion uh, on how to tackle some of these challenges when it comes to, say, even the Antarctic. Um, you know, the the balance between resource exploitation and conservation of the environment. Again, there we don't agree. And so I think there's, you know, it's definitely not just about power, it's a lot about principles. And there I think, you know, lies the crux of, of where we look at moving ahead. Uh, thank you, Ms. Lawrence. Uh, Minister Sajjadpur, what keeps you awake at night when you, uh, when you think of uh, Central Asia and, uh, and, uh, the, and various uh, the important players in that area? What, what are the possible divergences uh, that could create problems? Uh, two quick points. First, I think assumptions uh, about Russia needs to be revisited. Uh, we have been addicted to a certain, uh, uh, let's say, assumptions about Russia, which are repeated here and there. I think Russia is uh, different, is uh, a player which needs to be kept into our account. B, I think. Russia is one of the builders of the new international order, as along with others. So we have to keep the, this building capacity of Russia seriously. And I think this, my C and final point, 
cooperation is the key. Be it bilateral and multilateral. So cooperation with Russia for us has been very positive. Bilaterally, multilaterally. So I think the key uh, concept is let's instead of uh, having conflictual views focus on cooperation. Replace conflict with uh, cooperation. That's your message, uh, 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 Minister Sajapur. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Bistriski, closing remarks. Where do you see Russia, what, the, the most important things for Russia in, in its foreign policy in the, in the near future? Most important thing for Russia today is world justice and, and uh, replacing of hypocrisy. Uh, it, it's a problem because, first of all, where um, the, the, the contemporary world is a little, is a little bit strange because uh, now we have a terrible problem uh, uh, with uh, communication between countries, with mutual understanding, trust, and so on and so on. It's a main problem of information, of new information technologies. It's a serious challenge and maybe more dangerous than we think. Because a lot of there is a lack of information about a real situation with um, uh, uh, in, between countries and, uh, and so on and so on. Uh, I see a lot of worries about uh, uh, Russia-China relationships. <laughs> it's it's interesting, but but of course these relations depends on <laughs> Russia and China. It's clear, but at the same time, these relations depends on other countries. First of all, from Western Europe, for instance. And so and so, uh, uh, I see, uh, uh, I see, I see attempts of many countries to to restore old world order, uh, uh, unipolar, uh, more uh, hierarchic, uh, in some sense, injustice, and it's it's a, a serious challenge. We should. Uh, recognize that we are living in a new world, new multipolar world, and we should uh, build new type of relations uh, between countries. Uh, uh, not only Eurasian Economic Union. Okay, let's see uh, Russia and uh, Latin America relations. It's very interesting because we can uh, find uh, our own, own decisions. We should uh, 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 rethink uh, today model. And today, world hierarchy. Uh, I think it's it's a terrible mistake of, uh, of Western unit uh, elite uh, uh, to think that uh, uh, Western cul uh, Western culture, United States and the Western Europe, they are uh, uh, mm, um, leading countries. Yes, in some sense, yes, leading, but uh, uh, but the, the world is changing. It's 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 very serious and very long conversation, but uh, we have to finish uh, uh, as yeah. soon as possible because. Uh, okay, thank you, thank you very much indeed, and uh, thank you uh, for for invitation and participation in the in such uh, in, uh, uh, interesting conference. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, my my personal thanks to uh, all, all uh, the very distinguished and eminent uh, panelists who gave a diverse and uh, a geographically and intellectually diverse uh, uh, point of view 
about the uh, about, about about Russia. Thank you for joining um, uh, this uh, the, this uh, dialogue. Very interesting discussion. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in to Policy Pod, the ORF podcast. Please subscribe to our channel for updates on upcoming episodes.